0: You're
1: listening to Robert Wright's Non Zero Podcast. Hi Andrew. Hey Bob. How, How you are doing? doing? I'm good. I have a, a visual icebreaker in the style of Oh good. Mickey I Kaus. was worried
2: that this would be too formal. Um what is it? Is that some Roman? Uh what is that?
1: Eastman? Not quite. No, a
2: Viking? Is that a Viking?
1: It actually is. or it can You know, be considered I have Viking
2: blood. I don't want to get I don't want to make this all about me, but I just got my um ancestry.com thing a couple of weeks ago.
1: Oh, really? Like I you thought know, you were like Scottish. Are you Scandinavian?
2: it turns out I've got what was it, twelve or sixteen percent Swedish Swedish and, and Danish.
1: Yeah, okay, no, well you, you can, have you have yeah. that in common with this guy, actually. Who is that guy? So this is Rurik, or maybe to approximate the Russian pronunciation, Rurik. Mm-hmm. And he was the Viking chieftain of the Rus people who was invited to reign in Novgorod in the year 862, which is when the Russian state started to exist as a centralized state. And you would know that, Bob, if you had watched Tucker Carlson's interview of Vladimir Putin, because Putin opened up with a, I think you can call it a soliloquy, a historical soliloquy that lasted about an hour. And when in which he went all the way back to the 800s and talked about the deep roots of Russia, and arguably, actually, I think definitely was making a case for why we shouldn't think that the Ukrainian people even exist. And even though you didn't watch this interview, I kind of wanted to ask you about something related to that because it's related to NATO expansion and all this stuff that we've talked about. But maybe, maybe we should introduce the. Earthling Unplugged like first.
2: What this thing is. Yeah, this is uh this is Earthling Unplugged. You're Andrew Day. I'm Robert Wright. Uh Earthling Unplugged. Earthling the Earthling is the Friday edition of the Non Zero Newsletter. This is the non-zero podcast. This week's Earthling is mostly put to bed, but not entirely. And so we thought we'd take a break and record a podcast about it. Right. Uh, and about other things because the the Putin thing, for example, is is doesn't really figure in it. But since you spent two hours watching the Putin thing, yes. you figured, why let that go to waste? That's content. That's not wasted time, Andrew. That's content.
1: <laughs> and everyone is talking about it. Maybe if it had happened earlier in the week, we would be, you know, we would have included it in the earthling and talked about it as one of the items, but it didn't. So what I wanted to talk about is, you know, there's been this debate the past couple years between those who think that NATO expansion, NATO's eastward expansion toward Russia uh, created security concerns in the Kremlin which explains why Putin desi- decided to invade, mm-hmm. right? And on the other side of the debate are people who think that Putin has imperial ambitions, you know, maybe he even wants to march all the way across Europe, certainly he wanted to kind of recover the Russian lands and bring Ukraine back into Russia's orbit as a kind of colonial project or to reconstitute Mm -hmm. a non-communist form of the Soviet Union or something. And last night during the interview, Tucker Carlson was clearly trying to goad Putin into talking about NATO expansion and talking about the security threat that he felt from the U.S.-led West. And instead, Putin, as I said, went on this monologue. (laughs) and
2: About how he wants to conquer the world and Russia deserves (laughs) to have it.
1: Well, so, Tucker must you know, have been actually, pretty disappointed. He he did eventually get around to talking about NATO expansion and um, arms agreements that the U.S. has ripped up or missed opportunities for cooperation. Okay, um, but the first hour, I, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine when people use the word bizarre to describe something that Trump does or Putin does because it can kind of dismiss it without you know providing a, an analysis. But it was pretty bizarre. And Carlson, Tucker Carlson looked a little mystified about why Putin was going on as if Tucker Carlson wasn't even there, just giving this really long, elaborate, historical speech. Like, like
2: how long were the stretches that he actually talked without like any interruption? He didn't go a whole hour without another question, right? The
1: only interruptions, you know, Tucker Carlson would kind of intervene and, and kind of say, I don't see how this is really relevant because Tucker Carlson's opening oh. question was, you know, you basically asking him to talk about the security threats that, that Russia faced just prior to, to the, the full scale invasion. Um, and he said, Well, you're, you're, you studied history in college, so I'm going to talk about history. This isn't just a talk show, right? It's a serious discussion. I, I just need a minute of your time. He probably talked for 20 minutes before Tucker Carlson said anything, and then Putin kind of brushed him away and continued talking. And you're already seeing it on Twitter. People are using this as evidence. That the like Michael McFall position was right, and, yeah. and that's kind of what I wanted to hear from you. I can think of some ways to to reconcile these two alternative explanations, but I, I was kind of hoping to hear that from you. Um,
2: well, I've never I've never been kind of Mearsheimer about this. In other words, it's just this rational calculation about Russian security. I do think the NATO thing looms large with Putin. I think the EU does too. Uh, but I think also, and it sounds like Putin talked about this, uh, the the way the U.S. has treated Russia in in Putin's view, and and treated you know the so-called rules-based or treated international law, I think has figured in all of this too. I mean, there's a long, there's two decades of deteriorating relations, and Putin feeling increasingly aggrieved, increasingly slighted. And he does seem to be somebody with kind of a chip on his shoulder, who really respect is really important to him. We didn't give it to him. I'm willing to defend that claim at tremendous length. Uh, And so I think slowly things went downhill. And, I mean, first of all, he kind of warned us. In In 2007 or eight at the Munich Security Conference, he gave this speech noting that the U.S. had run roughshod over international law. And if we didn't change our ways, there was going to be trouble. Um, and, and of course, he also warned us about Ukraine and and uh at various times. The um, but but I think you know, people's psychology is fluid.
0: Mm-hmm. And
2: like whatever he went into the invasion thinking, okay, it's now been two years and Um, it's a much bigger mess than he realized it was going to be. And being human, he's got to kind of justify that.
0: Mm. So
2: I I would, first of all, just say as a general principle, his story about himself and even his actual aspirations change over time. And I don't mean they've only changed over that short period. I, I think, you know, all along, a lot of things are going on. He's getting more and more aggrieved. He's also getting older. And he's starting Mm. to think about his legacy and like, how's he going to be remembered? Hey, could he be remembered as the person who, uh, restored, uh, Russia to its rightful ownership of certain parts of Ukraine? Uh, which, uh, what's the term was, uh, did you use the term already? There's a term that encompasses Crimea and, Mm. and, uh, Okay, And the Donbass and Odessa, and there's, there's like a map you can draw that at one point in history was called something or other by the Russians, and it was, you know, part of Russia. Um, mm. Anyway, uh, so I think, um, you know, and I heard the, the Russians with attitude guys like more than a year ago, a couple of years ago, maybe uh, almost say he's gotten more, a little more gr- grandiose over time. And so so these things change.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think we could be living in a totally different world if the U.S. had started by not expanding NATO, which is the first problem, and done some other things. Not intervened in Kosovo, not invaded Iraq, done five or six other things. Um, but the main point I'd, I'd make is uh, I still don't think he has any aspirations to conquer Poland. Uh, as some people think, but
0: yeah,
2: um, had you know, obviously, he's in he's invaded Ukraine, he's he's got a story justifying that. I, I still believe firmly that there are concessions he would have accepted before the war that would have prevented the invasion. Now, maybe they're unacceptable to us, and maybe they're politically unsellable in America to the blob or whatever. Uh, but I think there are those things that are just in the realm of Russian security. And they're about NATO and maybe kind of involve the EU and so on. So I, 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 I believe that very firmly. Now, a few months before the invasion, was it getting too late? Maybe. But if you want to talk like a year before, six months before, I feel quite confident of that.
1: Um, and Tucker Carlson asked him that, too. Like, at what point did you decide? At what point was it too late and the relations had sunk too badly? What did he say? He didn't answer. He, he was often just kind of brushing aside Tucker Carlson's questions, which, you know, were actually, I wouldn't say adversarial, but there was a kind of hint of that. It wasn't a super comfortable interview. Putin kind of did a little bit of like power moves vis-a-vis Tucker, made fun of him kind of in an underhanded way for being rejected by the CIA out of college. Apparently, Tucker uh, comes from an intelligence background and applied to the CIA. Um, but yeah, so the first hour of Putin's, of the interview, when he was giving this soliloquy, you know, it seemed to evince a sincere historical interest and a particular yeah. historical view. It wouldn't justify the idea that, or corroborate the idea that Putin wants to march across Eastern Europe because, you know, he's just talking about these lands that he sees as being rightfully Russian, right. um, which don't go past Ukraine maybe don't even go into Western Ukraine.
2: Yeah, I don't think but, he cares that much about a lot of Western Ukraine, right?
1: Right, but but what he was saying did seem to justify the argument that he doesn't see Ukraine as a, a legitimate or real nation. Like he, he clearly believes that it's, they're just no, Russian think, people. Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, I think he's probably, well, he's on record saying that in 2008. You know, yeah. The uh I think if I remember correctly Bill Burns uh who was then ambassador to Russia I think was uh uh I think records in his memoirs a conversation with where where Putin is warning against NATO expansion and what he says is you know if you do this there's going to be a civil war in Ukraine because Ukraine is not a real nation. What he means is there are natural divisions within Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, that, he, he means the borders of, of modern Ukraine do not correspond to what he sees as, it, as its kind of natural ethnic cohesion or whatever. And uh, so, I mean, he's been thinking about a lot of this for a long time. And I think as as, as the invasion approaches, you know... Um, He's justifying it in as many ways as possible to himself. And when he talks to the world Mm -hmm. and as, as the war wears on, it's more important that he justify it in, in, uh, in, in, you know, kind of three dimensionally. And, and, uh, you know, it's like whenever anybody is doing something that's getting a lot of condemnation, they come up with as many rationales as possible. I don't mean he doesn't believe them. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean they haven't been simmering for a long time. I, I just, I just mean, uh, it's still clear to me, this didn't have to happen. Yeah. And now the closer you get to February, 2022, as you travel from 1999, uh, it gets more and more likely that we're going to have trouble, but, um, but this didn't, this didn't have to happen.
1: Right, maybe just like two points on that. There is this idea in political science that during wars, leaders ambiti- leaders get more ambitious and they start to care less about collateral damage and stuff like that. So there is this kind of political science idea that that, that uh, leaders maybe become a bit more grandiose over the course of the war. Um, and I'll also say, you know, I don't Samuel Huntington and Clash of Civilizations. If you ever read that book. Um, he talks about Ukraine as being, I think his term is like cleft country because, you know, he thinks that in this new post-Cold War era, uh, the fault lines for conflict will, will run along cultural, civilizational lines rather than ideological capitalism versus communism lines, right. and that line between the West and Russia runs through Ukraine. Um, but he thought that it wouldn't mm. create a problem because he thought that Ukraine would maintain good relations with Russia, not go too far into the Western orbit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, sa- he said probably it won't go into the Western orbit and incite a cataclysm. But if it does, if Europe tries to bring Ukraine in and make it a non-Russian state, there's going to be an earthquake, basically. Um Which I find kind of prescient and I think kind of gives a way to reconcile these two alternative explanations, you know.
2: Well, of course, Huntington's premise, presumably, as I recall his book, is that it's going to be hard to bring Russia very much into the West because his whole idea is that there are these naturally coherent civilizations and there will be some kind of tension between them. Although mm. Huntington is to a surprising extent a one worlder in in the end in the sense that he says you know we need to consciously construct uh, a body of of you know we kind of need to consciously integrate the world because of the natural tension between civilizations but anyway i i don't i i don't buy the idea that Russia for cultural reasons couldn't have become in effect part of the west it's clear that putin wanted to be part of the west
1: yeah he talks about this phase in his political career as president when he was asking western leaders principally u.s president uh, what would happen if i tried to join nato you yeah know? and he said that bill clinton said well that'd probably be a good idea but then bill clinton went back talked to his you know intelligence people and then came back for dinner that night with putin and said actually said, it's, just it's, kidding <laughs> it's not gonna work <laughs> um so
2: yeah well it's i should watch it sounds like I, I I mean it's it would be interesting to know what audience he had in mind. uh, it sounds like well, who knows what was on his uh i mean did you so you did think, wow, this guy's count kind of out of touch. I mean, it's not shocking to me that he's got this narrative rolling around in his head. He's under yeah. a lot of pressure. he fucked yeah. up. he did this invasion that turned out catastrophically, even though now the tide is turning again and and it may wind up looking like a big success for him. But still, he's been under a lot of pressure, and I don't doubt that he has come up with elaborate narratives, You know, extended his previous narratives to, to make sense of all this. Um, but, it, but it sounds like still a little weird that he would think it's a good idea to share all of this with his audience, yes. depending on what he thought mm. his audience was. I don't know.
1: Definitely. I mean, first, all, I'll just say, I mean, I don't think he's ever been less likable for me as he was in that first hour, because he's just going on this harangue. It's not obviously relevant. It's kind of impressive that he knows all this. You know, He has a mm-hmm. deep historical knowledge of his country, definitely. Um, but you know, if he's trying to appeal to Tucker Carlson's audience, he failed, because Tucker was trying to get him to talk about NATO, and even to talk about American domestic politics, and how the U.S. has screwed up its foreign policy and stuff. And Putin kind of demurred on that. For the most part, Um, to his credit, kind of. I think maybe Tucker even wanted him to talk about Biden's mental state. That that Mm. that's kind of speculative on my part. But he kept on asking, "Why don't you just call the president and sort this out?" And I kind of had the sense that he was hoping to get Putin to say something about Biden being like senile, basically. I I mean,
2: Putin Mm. may have had in mind a Russian audience to a considerable extent. I assume they're Mm going to see this,
3: and you know, job one for him is staying in power yeah but so um, yeah
1: do you want to talk about other stuff that's not on the earth thing or should we get right to the lead
2: oh man there's been so much uh it's been so much stuff i wrote i wrote stuff down so i mean there's the weird biden thing
0: mm-hmm. i
2: mean that biden's very bad thursday night um First of all, that, you know, the the uh whatever that guy was, special prosecutor, special counsel, who had been appointed by the Biden administration, although he's a Republican and had been appointed, I guess, as U.S. attorney uh by Trump. And of course, this probably everybody knows by now, um, although he said he wasn't gonna Biden didn't deserve to be indicted. <laughs> he did deserve to have his electoral prospects ruined by this no. guy. Uh and the headline didn't begin to capture. I mean, it seemed to me the most damning things were the specific things of Biden's that he quoted. Mm-hmm. And and it, it you know look, I mean, as as a number of people noted out, like this is not fair play. You know, the the deal with prosecutors is supposed to be if you decide not to indict, you don't you don't spend your time smearing the person, right? You know, and. Uh, and I would say further, if you are going to quote these seemingly very damning things like Biden saying 2013, was I vice president then? I mean, that's right in the middle of the eight years when he was vice president, right? I
1: thought he said it about 2009 too. He He said said, both. Was I still vice president in 2009? Was
2: I still? Now that could be him getting yet. And still kind of mixed up, which by the way, I think are the same word in Spanish. And of course, he also called (laughs) CC the president of Mexico.
1: But that one I could see why he did that because he's thinking, you know, the southern border of Gaza. Southern border. That's right. Yeah. So he mixed it up.
2: I mean, still, it's it's kind of a bad time to do it. When you come out to a press conference to show Mm -hmm. everybody you got your shit together, I mean, the other, yeah, well, whatever. Uh, Uh, very bad. Um, I mean, I don't know what to say about it, except there was again, a lot of talk (laughs) that I was trying to encourage on Twitter, uh, last night about, is it too late to find a replacement for this guy? Mm -hmm. It's such a statement about how elites have totally lost control of major institutions, including the two parties. Mm -hmm. I mean, the smoke filled room is so dead. But and that said, I'm not convinced that Barack Obama could not have engineered and maybe that he could not still engineer uh, some magical uh, thing. I mean, I, I mean, he he's
1: put- he's kind of a one man milk filled room. Arguably, he engineered the Biden presidency because during the primary, I think he did, you know, with against Bernie, he kind of stepped in and got people to endorse Biden. I don't remember the details now, but. I think he's the guy that could do it, you know, especially because Joe Biden is popular. I mean, was popular in part because he's Barack Obama's friend. Like, that's how they presented him, you know. Uh, But I I think it's too late at this point.
3: Well. What's not too late is to convince Biden. uh, To step down.
2: I mean, it may be, but 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 that's the thing that I mean what it what apparently is too late is to have some new candidate arise and and beat Biden just because the the filing deadline for so many primaries has passed. But I think there was a time when 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 Obama could have engineered that, and I think it may still not be too late uh, if he really wanted to make a go of it um, and you know, and first start off by talking to a lot of other. Democratic elites and getting them on board.
1: But there there's two awkward parts to this, which is the first one is it's awkward if he doesn't run for re-election. The second part is it's awkward if he doesn't kind of anoint Kamala Harris. Well, that's the second hurdle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I I'll say for this press conference, which did have two bad moments, you know, one of which you mentioned with CC calling him the president of Mexico when he's the president of Egypt. Um And then the other one was when he was talking about his son who died because the special counsel apparently in his report, which I guess we should say, the report found that the DOJ is not going to bring charges against Biden for mishandling classified information, even though he seems to have willfully retained or something like that um, classified information and shared it with a ghostwriter. Um, But So it seems like it should be a good thing, but the bad thing is that the guy said it's because... Biden's attorneys will present him as an elderly man with a memory problem and it would be hard to convict him because he's like not competent to stand trial. And he's president, basically. Um, But I'll say the press conference, I didn't think he was that bad. I I didn't
2: see see that. I was, you know, starting to work on the newsletter. Um, And so I haven't seen I mean, I saw I, I glanced at Twitter and somebody said, wow, he's really on. Tonight, You know, whatever drugs they're giving him, I want some. But (laughs) That's
1: exactly what I said. Yeah.
2: (laughs) But uh, and he would have been fine because he walked away from the microphone. And then and he hadn't yet called Cece, the president of Mexico.
1: But he had done one thing, which, you know, the special counsel mentioned that that Biden forgot when his son Bo died or something like that. And then when he was talking about it, he starts to get emotional and he talks about how he wears this rosary every day. Um. How could I forget that when my son died, I wear this rosary, which comes from, and he forgot like the church or the saint that was related to the rosary. Like he clearly forgot. Yeah. And then he moved on.
2: I That kind of stuff. You know, I don't think it's that weird that he can't remember the years his son died. Mm-hmm. I'm not good at those kinds of dates. I, I, you know, it's like, whereas the vice presidency, it's like you are conversant in American history, right? Mm-hmm. Bush was president until 2000, early 2009. Trump was elected in 2016. You know, th- to me that's weirder. Uh, like
3: I have uh, good friends who've died. I don't remember uh, the year. Um, and I, I, I don't know. Like that's oh, true. i don't remember the day mm. my dog died this summer,
2: the date, but I don't know the year may pass from my mind. Um
1: anyway that's that, that's totally true i have the same experience yeah um but yeah some people are were making the point that putin looks a lot more lucid and cogent and intelligent <laughs> relative to biden because he can talk for an hour about russia's deep history and then it goes to biden and he's uh you know not looking so good
2: yeah what is putin like early 70s or something
1: he's gotta be i don't think he was that young when he got into politics and he's been president for like ever let's see how old he is um Um, 71
2: yeah that's that's nothing i mean between (laughs) 71 i mean really between 71 Mm -hmm. and 81 yeah falling off a cliff i I mean different people differ but but 10 years is a lot at that stage in life but i mean i just went through 10 years it was a lot and i'm not even 71 yet it Mm -hmm. was a lot yeah a lot andrew (laughs) <laughs> Enjoy life while you can, because this was a lot.
1: <laughs> um, yeah, and Trump, you know, he's also having his sort of memory issues, but they're not nearly as bad as Biden, which which helps him, you know.
2: Um, yeah, well, somebody surfaced this video of Trump a few months ago calling uh, Orban the president of Turkey. Sounds mm-hmm. kind of like Erdogan. Sounds kind of like Erdogan.
1: Oh, yeah. I hadn't even made that connection. That's the that's the mix up. Yeah. Hmm. But
2: that's no excuse.
1: So the other big thing that happened that everyone's talking about um, is the Supreme Court seems like they're going to overturn the Colorado's Supreme Court's decision to kick Trump off the ballot.
2: That's not a shocker. It seems to. I mean, I think that was kind of expected.
1: Uh, One thing that wasn't expected is it seems like even the liberal justices are highly skeptical of Trump's challenger lawyer, like the person hmm. against Trump. Yeah.
2: I mean, it it wouldn't have been death for Trump if the Supreme Court had just let Colorado, because there's only a couple states doing this right, and Trump could survive losing both. I think. Um,
1: yeah, I guess but, Colorado's solidly a blue state, and I think the other one is Maine or is it Massachusetts? I'm having a I'm not in sure. related I memory. Was th- I
2: was half thinking it was Michigan, but maybe I'm wrong. It was an M. We agree, it was an M state. <laughs>
3: um. So yeah. So. Maybe we should uh, talk a little about the newsletter. Yes. So I can
2: go back to finishing. The uh, so lead item is about this new uh, evidence on lab leak. It it, it it surfaced actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago. Um, and uh, I was going to write about it last week.
3: And the upshot is... You know, it adds some weight to the argument that
2: this was a genetically engineered organism that escaped the lab. And it adds weight to the specific scenario that what happened was there was this joint U.S.-China project, the EcoHealth Alliance, a U.S. NGO. Uh, was going to collaborate with various institutions, including uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And um, they sought funding. It was denied by DARPA, the Pentagon funding Research Funding Agency. And if you ask, like, why DARPA? I think, of course, you know, people get money anywhere they can. The rationale would have been probably that this could help us defend against a bioengineered, uh, weapon or something. But, um, in any event, uh, DARPA turns it down and there was already non-trivial evidence that circumstantial, um, that maybe even after this was turned down, the research that was going to take place at Wuhan under this grant, uh, under this project took place. And there's a couple of ways that could happen. Sometimes scientists, apparently, as they're applying for funding, they go ahead and proceed with the research. Apparently, that's pretty common. So mm-hmm. it's actually possible, if this happened, that some of the uh, Americans knew about it. I mean, the guy actually runs EcoHealth, although it's an American NGO is himself a Brit, I think. but um, so it's possible that they knew about it. Uh, or it's possible that Wuhan just thought, yeah, great idea. You can't get get the money, but we can still get money and we Mm. can do it. Um, you know, the evidence is, was, you know, not nothing to begin with the fern cleavage site. I mean, remember when early on, long before anybody knew about this grant proposal, David Baltimore, Nobel laureate, molecular biologist looked at this fur and cleavage site, which is on the COVID virus, you know, it's part of the DNA, um, and said, that's a smoking gun. And then he kind of under pressure walked that back and said, okay, not a smoking gun, but looks more like something a human would add. Mm -hmm. And then then something naturally occurring. And he's like this very eminent guy. And that was before they uncovered the grant proposal that said, We'll put a fur and cleavage site in a bat coronavirus, you know, and, and part of the research will be done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So obviously, that's not nothing, right there. And yeah. then the the latest round of evidence. Now this is like you know more than a year ago that that surfaced. And the latest round of
3: evidence is, uh, I I don't, I'm not. Technically sophisticated enough to tell you how much weight it adds uh
2: to the argument. But apparently, I mean, what it was was documents. Not we already had the grant proposal. This is documents uh uh reflecting the preparation of the proposal, communications among the people preparing the proposal, and basically it just adds some technical details that also correspond to the actual structure of the COVID virus. Okay, so. it 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 it, uh however striking you think the uh resemblance um between what they envisioned and what we wound up with apparently
3: that's uh more striking but the main point of the piece is you know again this
2: this latest thing like the first round is pretty much ignored by mainstream media new york times Mm -hmm. and so on and Uh, I say that's a shame because that means that the conversation about it kind of stays in, uh, you know, to some extent in the kind of Trumpist circles where uh, the reaction to this is very Chinaphobic and, and, you know, uh, is more reason for a Cold War and disengagement when I'm saying the moral of the story is uh, basically the opposite. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, that, you know, whether or not this happened, it could have happened. And that should tell us that we need to get serious about the international regulation of biotech, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And to your point about Trumpy media and media figures being more interested in this. So the the journalist behind the story that's divulging this information that you were just talking about, this latest bit of evidence, she's not Trumpy, you know. She's, no. But but even she like and on Emily Twitter Kopp. she's she yeah she and she seems one of the reasons I thought the story was interesting is because she seems very legit like she knows what she's talking about yeah. I don't really understand all this stuff but I would encourage people to go watch interviews with her because um, she explains this stuff pretty well but yeah she's she's like retweeting people like Rand Paul and stuff I I don't dislike Rand Paul but like those are the people who are talking about this um at least in the political establishment. And I kind of wanted to ask, so it seems like maybe one reason mainstream media isn't covering this now is because it's kind of embarrassing because they were dismissing these, you know, these concerns back when COVID, like the pandemic first hit. Um, but why why were they so dismissive of the lab leak possibility in the first place? I never really understood that. I mean, the, there's a Wuhan Institute of Virology. Like the fact that that exists was the first well, sign.
2: I think... Uh... You mean why? Why was mainstream media dismissive?
1: Yeah. And just kind of liberals in general, you know?
2: Yeah. Um, I think it's because it started out as a Trump theory. I mean, that's what I'm saying in the piece. It, 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 it's a case where American political polarization kind of impedes uh, good governance. I, I mean, it it isn't just that it was Trumpists saying it, mm-hmm. it's that. They, uh, some of them were kind of had the way they were saying it had really kind of nationalist, even racist vibes. Mm-hmm. And at first, it did seem uh, crazy. Some of them were, su- uh, some of it is crazy. Some of them were suggesting that it was an intentionally engineered and released bioweapon.
1: Right. That's crazy. Like you don't the- release
2: a bioweapon on your own population.
1: <laughs> That's the, the like North Korean lady who, is like big in conservative media i think that's her point i,
2: I think peter navarro said mm-hmm. something to or said we don't yet know whether it was intentionally or yeah, something i mean I you that. know some so some actual trump officials
1: uh, i mean so, i never understood why the why it was racist i mean it seems like the counter explanation is like china has really lax food and health and safety standards like at their wet markets so like that that's the counter explanation it seems like the like a lab leak wasn't I never really understood why it was racist you know um, except for all the extra crazy stuff that you just mentioned but it's still, it still kind of begs the question like why was Trump the first one to identify this is it just like a broken clock is right twice a day like at the time there wasn't any reason to think this but he kind of pounced on it and then by the time the evidence started to come out people were already against this theory
3: um I mean, there was a big, uh, I mean, Steve Bannon was one of the first to publicize
2: it. Yeah. And he, and this was, he was using it as part of his campaign, uh, to demonize China. Mm
0: -hmm.
3: That was
2: pretty early on. Um, and so like they didn't have to use their imaginations much. The, uh, and then there was separately within the U.S. biomedical establishment, there was a lot of um, pushback against it. I mean, partly, we now think uh, perhaps because some of the people were actually implicated in what actually happened. Mm. Uh, you know, also, I mean, the the, the uh, American, you know, they they like a lot of scientists like international cooperation. And God bless them. And science has been a, a, a force, I think for often for international, uh, kind of, uh, harmony and, and, and cross-border collaboration. And, um, you know, and, and I mean, it's, it's the whole, the whole, the whole China phobic vibe, it, it, it winds up being in practice, kind of racist, uh, whatever the explicit rationale, because you get to a point where every Chinese researcher at an American university is suddenly suspect. And, you know, whether or not you want to say it's technically racism, it's, it's, you know,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I mean, it's a little like, uh, if American Jews feel threatened, Saying don't worry, it's not actually anti-Semitism, it's anti-zionism. It's like doesn't matter to them if mm. if, they, if they if they're
3: being attacked, you know it's kind of you're kind of splitting hairs here mm. um but uh so
1: well, I do like this i mean I haven't read the i the lead item yet, but I do like this point that you know a lot of people when they're thinking about this and they think it was a lab leak, uh people on the right i mean. They're kind of thinking like we need to be madder at China. (laughs) Like, once people learn that China's responsible for this, that they screwed up the global economy for three years, um, there's going to be hell to pay. Um, but I I, I like your point that the actual lesson to draw from this is we need more international cooperation because there's Mm -hmm. an international dimension to this, there's a race to the bottom element that we were talking about before, you know, when we weren't taping. Um, and the only way to, to address that is is global governance stuff. So
3: Yeah. So
2: um, so we have how long we've we been talking? I guess is it is it time for a public service announcement? It's actually not a public service announcement, it's a self-service announcement.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's been about 30 minutes, and yeah, we still need to talk, you know, about a bunch of other items, but I think this is where the paywall comes in.
2: But first we encourage uh So, yeah, uh, the rest, uh, in a couple of minutes, we'll move to the part of this that's available only to paid subscribers of the non-zero newsletter, um, which we encourage everyone to become. Um, And also, I mean, as long as we're uh, begging for support, um, you know, rate and review. Like, I almost never say this stuff that every podcaster is smart enough to say, you know. It actually does help to rate us, review us. The competition is fierce. It's ferocious. All these podcasts have like big major platforms and we're just us, you know.
1: Mhm. <laughs> yeah, and subscribe on YouTube. Like on YouTube. Like the videos. Like on YouTube. Uh, mm-hmm.
2: Smash! Don't just hit the like button. Don't just click it. Smash it. Um and uh what else? I mean, the great thing. You know, it's funny like with these NPR pledge drives and everything, the way they say all we're asking is like the cup of the price of a cup of coffee once a month. Like I I went in a Starbucks the other day. It actually is the price of a cup of coffee. I I thought they were exaggerating. But no. no. Coffee is that, you know, coffee's you can't get a Do you realize you can't get a coffee for 10 cents anymore, Andrew? <laughs> nah,
1: no, yeah, that's true. Um how what did you get? You just got a Pike place tall brewed coffee. I did get.
2: I did get a Pike. That's my standard.
1: How much is it these days?
2: Well, a
3: grande, uh, I don't remember exactly, but it wasn't far from, uh, from
0: the $6 a month subscription
3: and, and even closer
2: to $60 a year, which is the, um,
3: Mm.
2: you know, so yeah, uh, anyway, if you do that. Then you can get this special podcast feed that has the overtime segments of all the podcasts just automatically. And, of course, you can fast forward through this part, the commercials.
1: And you can also listen to what's behind the paywall today, which we're going to talk about the Middle East blowback from the Qasem Soleimani assassination, troops in Syria and Iraq being attacked, AI updates, AIs nuking other AIs and war games. Yeah. And this new Haaretz, op- or it's a foreign affairs article by a Haaretz editor in chief, and which yeah, a lot
2: of Middle East stuff mm. on the other side of the paywall, and some some AI stuff. My new obsession.
1: Okay, no JFK, so maybe-
2: st- no JFK stuff this week, unless Andrew, you want to go? Yeah, there.
1: yeah. Don't speak As too soon.
2: I mean, the kind of glasses you're wearing, those are very JFKs. You know, those are like like everyone Ray in events. these. Like, if you go peruse, like videos of witnesses
3: Mm -hmm. Uh, are those ray-bans yeah um retro ray-bans um uh anyway everybody's wearing those glasses
2: uh all the people who say grassy knoll uh, in black and white (laughs) from the 1960s are wearing those glasses
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i'm I'm (laughs) happy with them i had a more hipster style that was too thin and they were very fragile. Actually, playing soccer with some of the kids at the high school I used to teach at, some of the middle schoolers joined us, and I totally just ran over one of them. I did like this move, and I turned around. I didn't realize he was there, and I smashed into him, and my glasses fell off and broke, and he fell down hard, but he was okay. It was fine. Mm-hmm. But so, the I had glasses to get these. are a
2: real tragedy. Too bad about <laughs> the
1: kid too. Um, so yeah, maybe we should say goodbye to the free subscribers and. Yeah, we thank you.
2: We love you. Why don't you go spend the rest of the day smashing the like button? And uh, now we head into overtime.
1: This was a free preview of Earthling Unplugged. To unlock the rest of this conversation and other exclusive audio content, become an NCN member at nonzero.substack.com.